Good morning. How's everyone? That's great. Uh, my name is Adrian Hernandez. Uh, I've been going to Man's Bible Church since I was 12, so about, yeah, about 11 years. Um, I'm going to be reading 1 Peter chapter 2, four, uh, verse 4 through 12. And it says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer, a spirit, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am, lying, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who calls you out of darkness into marvelous light, into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. As we get started, I'd like to do something a little different. I would like for you to pray for someone around you. There are people all around you that need prayer, right? You may be one of those. You may be hurting today. And so I would just like for, and if you know somebody that's hurting, I want to start by just having you get up if you need to and go and put your hand on their shoulder and, and just pray for them. Uh, you may not know the reason that you're going to do that. You may not know what it is they're going through. That's okay. You don't have to pray specifically. Just pray for them. I'd like for us to start by doing that. So I know that that's a little out of your comfort zone for some, and that's okay. And so let's just take a moment to, to pray for those who are around us uh, as we start, and then I'll uh, open us in prayer here in just a minute. So take a couple of minutes to do that. If you need to get up, I want to encourage you, go ahead and get up. Get up and, and walk over to someone and, and just put your hand on their shoulder. You may not know what they're going through. I did that one day, uh, one Sunday. I just, we, during the worship, I walked over and just put my hand on a, on, a, on a person's shoulder. It was years ago. And later he told me, thank you so much for doing that. He said, I was really struggling with something and that you don't know how much that meant to me just to have you do that. It was a simple gesture. And so let's minister to one another right now and take a moment to do that. So let's pray. Father, we come to you today, and I thank you for each person here. You have them here for a reason. Minister to them. May your spirit move in their hearts, touch their lives, give them hope when they need it, give them encouragement when they're struggling. Lift them up, Father. Help them to see you today. 
Help us all to see you today and be moved by you that we would not be the same when we walk out of this place because we've had an encounter with the God of the universe. Lord, we love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. I want you to know I was very moved by our worship today. Amen? Amen. Just hearing your voices, you have no idea, no idea how powerful that is. When I was in Pakistan and I was in my hotel room, of course it was at night then, day here, but you know the time difference. It was at night and so I was listening, it was probably about 10 o'clock at night and I was listening to the service and I, it was spotty reception so I missed the first two songs, got the third one, got the prayer, missed the first part of Lingle's message but got the, the tail end of it and so that part wasn't exciting. But the, exci- the, neat, the thing that really moved me was hearing your worship. It moved me in my heart. And it did so today. Hearing your voices. You think you're in a crowd and you are. And, and so it's, I didn't hear individual voices, so you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> yeah, praise God for that, right? <laughs> but you, as priest of God, which you are, we read, just read about, you as priests of God, that's not, not me calling you that, it's God calling you that. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're a priest of God and you are ministering to those around you more than you know. And I can tell you, uh, I stood next to a man, my father, who could not carry a tune to save his life. Amen, <laughs> amen. I heard an amen to that. And I, I remember standing years later next to a guy, and after we got through the singing, he kind of looked over and apologized, sorry for my singing. And I just told him, you know what? I stood by a man, my dad, who I love dearly, and I love hearing people sing off key because it reminds me of him. And so don't think that what you have isn't something precious to someone. Amen? God has something neat for you. And I just want you to know, as we start this service, it's so important for us to realize that what we do is, is more important than you can imagine. And some of the stuff, you won't even know why it's important that you do it. Well, as we get into 1 Peter, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 2. So turn there or get in your, on your device and, and move to that passage because we're going to kind of dig into some, some issues there. And as we start, I want to start with a quote, a quote that I actually read soon after it was written. I hate to say it was written in the last century back in 1978. I'm not going to ask how many of you were alive then, right? I mean, I was just an infant myself reading. <laughs> But, uh, and I don't lie, um, A.W. Tozier, in a book called The Knowledge of the Holy, great book, if you get a chance, a little small volume, great read. 
he made this comment which has stuck with me ever since. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I had to think about that one. Wow, there's a lot of important things in life and I could have, well, what about this and what about that and what about the other, right? Okay, kind of back off and we have to look at it again and go, okay, we might debate about what's the most important thing. But I love this statement, especially the first part of it. What do we think? What comes to mind when you think about God? What comes to mind? What is it that pops into your head first and foremost about God? We sang about his love and his generosity. Maybe that's not what comes to mind for you. Maybe what comes to mind for you is a God who is distant. A God who may seem unconcerned about what's going on in your life because you struggled with something deep and you wondered, where is God in that time? You may question God's goodness because you've seen evil and suffering in this world. I've seen it too. You see it in the Ukraine. You see it in Sudan. You see it all over the world. You see it in our own country when somebody shoots up a place and you're thinking, God, why aren't you doing something? And so you may struggle with God is good. And God has an answer for that, by the way. And I would love to talk to you if you struggle with that. We may see God, or you may see God as loving and, and forgiving, but you kind of struggle with his justice and his holiness. And so you kind of want to leave those out. So you have a God that's loving, but not just or holy. Or maybe he's just not that big a deal to you, not all that important to you. There are other pursuits that you think in this life are more important than the pursuit of God. What comes to mind when you think about God? It could very well be the most important thing about us. The history of mankind, Tozer goes on to say, will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion and man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. He goes on to say, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. Wow. We move toward what we think God to be like, at least in our spiritual lives and most likely in all of our life. So what comes to mind? I love the writings of C.S. Lewis. He was a British author and theologian. He was raised in a Christian household, but he lost his faith. A struggle that in his teens finally caused him to walk away because, see, his mom died when he was nine. And he struggled with God being good, with the issue of suffering. And then he read the writings of G.K. Chesterton, George MacDonald and even J.R.R. Tolkien of Lord of the Rings fame. And in his autobiography, Surprised by Joy, he describes his journey from atheism 
to Christianity. Yeah, praise God. Brilliant thinker, had to work his way through it. And in fact, you see his struggle with the issue of pain in a, in a book that he wrote, wrote after his wife died called A Grief Observed. Very painful read, I can tell you that if you, have to, if you read it, but very profound in the things that he came to, the conclusions he came to. What I was thinking about when I was looking at First Peter was, Peter went through a journey as well. He went from a journey where he told Jesus, this will never happen to you, right? He said, Jesus was telling the disciples, uh, uh, I'm, uh, this, uh, the Christ must suffer, must be killed, must be buried, must be, be and will raise again. And, and Peter says, this will never happen to you. And Jesus told him after he said, get behind me, Satan. Not a great response from your Lord. I can't imagine <laughs> the struggle that must have been. He said, you're not setting your mind on things of God, but on the things of man. Wow. Because see, this journey took him from believing that Jesus didn't have to go through this stuff to what we see in 1 Peter he says, Jesus did. For our salvation, have to go through these things, not for himself, but for us. Wow. And in such beautiful words, I still just am overwhelmed as I read, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is chapter 1 and verse 3. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And I go, wow. And he goes on. I mean, just keep on reading. And you just, my heart swells every time I read this section of scripture. And here's a guy who wrote it that went from denying Jesus to, to dying for Jesus, who went from denying that Jesus had to die to, to believing he, and understanding he did have to die. I love the words of this man who tells us, here's the living hope that you will have, and then he talks about the living word in, in, in chapter 1, verse 23, where he talks about that you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So he goes from living hope, living word, and now he gets into the, a new topic, the living stone. That Jesus is the living stone. Wow. And so let's, let's begin at verse 4. And it says, as you come to him, who is he? A living stone. Rejected by men. See, he, he, he went from believing that Jesus didn't need to be rejected by men to now understanding why. Rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. I want to stop there. Because then he goes on to, and instructs us. I want us to stop there. As you come to him. As you come. It's a, it's a participle, so it means Coming. The main verb is actually the, the one later where he says, being built up. That's the main verb. 
This participle supports that. It's a verbal adjective. So here it is. This, as you come to him. As you come to the one who is the living stone. It also carries the idea of regularity. That we do it over and over. As you come to him. So he's talking about people who have already come to him in faith. And you see that idea of faith all through the passage. That faith is what is the key. He says, as you come to him. So we keep coming to him. We daily come to him. We hourly come to him. As you come to him. A living stone. And you kind of go, wait a minute. Those, those two words don't seem to fit together. Living and stone. Stones are just kind of sit there. They don't do much, right? They don't talk to you. They don't do, I mean, they, you know, Jesus said they'll cry out if, if people aren't going to tell who he is, right? But stones by nature just sit there. How can you have living and stone? Why does he put those two together? And you begin to see he's really drawing from Isaiah. In fact, he quotes Isaiah here, a couple of passages, 28 and 8. And you see him talking about this living stone. What is it? Why does he bring those up? Living is because he is the one who brings life. I think that's why he loves this. You can see that Peter in these first two chapters loves the term living. Living hope. What does that mean? A hope that gives life. The living word of God. The living word. The word that gives life. Gives us insight into who we are. And now a living stone. The one who... Uh, is, is our foundation. He's the one who is, 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 when you think of what a stone does, in fact, you look at passages that deal with the stone. You, you read passages like uh, that we're supposed to build our house on what? Solid foundation, solid rock, not on sand, Matthew 7. In Psalm 18, he talks about the, this rock being a place of refuge that will hide within this rock, that he will be a place that when we are struggling, when, we, when all the storms of life are coming, he's our, he's our refuge. Isaiah 28, which he quotes here, he's our salvation. He says, behold, verse 6, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes, I mean, sounds like John 3.16, right? Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And then in verse 7, he says, So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So he's saying it's whoever believes in him receives the blessing. Whoever receives him, him will not be put to shame. Whoever believes in him will not stumble over him. Wow, powerful. So the purpose of, the, of bringing out this idea of the stone is really to carry this idea that starts earlier in Scripture and carry it through into Peter's writing. Obviously, Peter has become a reader of Scripture, hasn't he? He understands what, what the, the passages that dealt with Jesus and what he was supposed to do.
as you come to him, as you continuously come to him, this one who gives life as a foundation, as our refuge, as our strength, he's not going anywhere. He says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. You become a living stone yourself. What does that mean? You are a reflection of him. The living stone, you're a reflection, living stones. Him as living stone means that life comes from him. Us as living stones mean life comes through us by the life that he has. We are a reflection of that life. And people will come to him and begin to have eternal life because of what you do and what I do. As we reflect him, as we worship him, as we stand before him. You yourselves as living stones are being built up into a spiritual house. You know, there was something that hit me this morning, actually, as I was kind of reviewing for the message, kind of going over my notes and thinking through it again. Something hit me like a ton of bricks. There's a passage in the Gospels where Jesus says, uh, it's in Matthew, that where he says that um, uh, you... Uh, 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 he says, on this rock, right? On this rock, I will build my church. And I thought, oh, the rock built up, church, because this is, these living stones are being built up to a spiritual house. He's not talking then about us individually, but we are building blocks. Each one of us are a living stone that helps build this church. So he's talking about the church. He's talking about us collectively here. And that it's being built up as new stones are being added as people are coming to Christ, coming to faith in Jesus. And so it made me think about that passage and, and I, I thought, you know, so many, I, and I've, I've done research papers in seminary and such on that passage. Who's it speaking about? Is it speaking about Peter? Because he calls Peter. He says, no longer I call you Simon, but I call you Peter. And, he, and, and you look at the terms and you realize that refers to a rock, a little rock and a big rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. And so you think many, some, uh, some traditions will say, uh, that is, that's Peter, that, that Jesus is saying, I'm going to build my church on you, Peter. And you're the, you're the first part of this thing. And then, uh, and, and you're going to start the whole thing. And, and, and you're going to be the one that is going to be the key and, and, and the premier apostle and now I'm reading something written by the very guy who was being talked about in that passage with Jesus. And he's basically saying, he wasn't talking about me. He was talking about himself. Jesus being the stone upon which the church was built. And I was like, wow, how did I miss this before? How did I not see this? It makes me want to go back and read some of the commentaries and say, did, well, why, why didn't they say this? Or maybe they did and I just missed it somehow. 
It's amazing how we kind of grow in our walk with the Lord, isn't it? As we see things that we didn't see before. It's not like God's given me new stuff. It's like it's still there. It's been there all along. But it's a new understanding and it's like, wow. Here is Peter telling us this living stone who Jesus said, I will build my church. He's saying, yes, this was about Jesus. He is the living stone. He is the the cornerstone. He is the one about whom all this was written and about whom he was talking. He's going to build his church on himself. He's going to build his church on belief in Jesus. That message that Peter proclaimed then when he said, uh, you are the Christ, because he did say that, you're the Christ. He says, I want to build my church on that. On the gospel message. It's what Peter is writing about born again to a living hope, a salvation, this concerning this salvation, this good news. I mean, all through this, this book, you see that. So he's built up into a spiritual house. Not talking about buildings here, talking about people. We are the church. Then it says to be a holy priesthood, and you kind of go, huh? Kind of like, I can't think of the name of that dog, but, huh? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Scooby-Doo. A holy priesthood? Wait a minute, you mean we're all supposed to be wearing these little collars? Because what, what, what do we think of when we think of a priesthood? We think of people either in the Old Testament who are offering and cutting up animals and doing incense and all this, that kind of stuff. Or today we think about people who are in the professional clergy in some sense and they're, they're doing all these spiritual things and, and, and you're the people who watch the people do the stuff, right? And you think, no, that's, that's not what Peter's talking about at all here. He's saying... You're, you and me, we all are priests. In the Reformation, people like Luther and Calvin and, and, and Zwingli and others, they not only wanted people to understand faith alone in Christ alone, but the priesthood of the believer, and somehow that one's kind of gotten lost. That one we haven't really grasped hold of. Because we don't understand what it means to be a priest or we're kind of nervous about being it because we think, well, I'm not worthy of being a priest. Why would you call me that? Oh, I didn't call you that. God did. And you think, well, I'm not worthy of being a priest. That's immaterial. Your flagging self-image is not what's true. What's true is what God calls you. I am who he says I am. You are who he says you are, and he calls you a priest of God. So when we have our congregation meeting here together, all the believers here, this is a priest convention. (laughs) Right? We are all priests, and so we think, well, what's my job? What is my job as a priest? He tells us in the very next phrase. Let me start again, kind of get a running start at, at this. You yourself, like living stones, are being built up to a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Wait a minute. What are these 
spiritual sacrifices that we're supposed to do. I mean, if, if that's our job, what does that look like? What are these spiritual sacrifices? It's not, you know, taking your, your pet and, and offering them to God in some sense, right? I mean, that would be, that would be bad. It's spiritual sacrifice, not material sacrifice, spiritual sacrifice. What is this spiritual thing? We struggle with this idea of spiritual. We're so connected to stuff that we have a hard time figuring out this spiritual thing. Well, he tells this one, and, and it's actually something that we did today, something that moved my heart deeply today. If you jump down to verse 9, says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. I mean, it just, wow. And then he says that. Oh, that. Anytime it says that or in order that, you want to, want to look at that because that's, that's telling you the purpose. That's telling you the reason. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That you may proclaim his excellencies. That you may speak of him. One of the things that I found in life is that either my problems seem big and they are overwhelming to me and at that moment my God seems small or I began to think about God, about who he really is. And my God becomes big and my problems become way diminished. Doesn't mean they go away. Doesn't mean they're unimportant. But when I get a view of God that's worthy of him, I know that he's going to be able to handle these issues that I'm dealing with. He may or may not make them go away. When I was diagnosed with cancer back last year, I didn't know, is he going to make it go away? Or am I going to die an early death? I didn't know what the answer was to that. I still don't. Went through the surgery in December. Four months later, I went to the doctor and, and I found myself a little anxious, to be honest with you. What are they going to say? Am I going to have to start chemo? What's going to happen here? Get the blood test and I have to wait a week. And you're kind of going, okay, Lord, just help me stay, you know, focused on you. And they, they gave me a, uh, on my PSA a zero. Yeah. Yeah. The one time that I'm really glad for a zero on a test. <laughs> and I think, okay, God, I, I guess I got a little more time. I mean, he could take me out right now. He could take me out, you know, today, right? But at least in, he's not going to necessarily take me out in this way at this time. And so I, I trust him. It's a journey of life that I, I live at peace. And yeah, I have those moments, but I generally live at peace that God is in control. He's got, he knows the number of my days, whatever they are, and I trust him. We need to trust him with those things. And when we do, all of a sudden the cancer kind of goes like this. Because he is front and center in my thoughts. And my thoughts become more and more worthy of him. Here's what I would like to encourage you to do. 
I want to encourage you to get a journal or do it on your phone on notepad if you need to. Start a notepad deal, a new, a new note. And every time you read about who God is in Scripture, he's a rock. Write that down. Put it down. He's your defender. Write that down. He is merciful. Write that down. Pretty soon you're going to have a long list of who he is. And I, I want to encourage you to begin to just, when you struggle or struggling the most, go back to that and just read them out loud. Not silently reading them. I want you to read them out loud and maybe read them to somebody. Read to somebody else because then you're not only you're blessed, but then they're blessed as well. Because I think that we need to grow in our, our concept of God. What comes to mind when you think about God? Peter changed his view. I want to encourage you to change your view from whatever it is. And I can tell you what, no matter what your view of God is, you can grow in it. We all need to grow in it. I'm growing in it all the time. And realize that my mind is telling me some things about God that aren't true. I guess you don't care about me. I guess, I guess you, you're not listening to me. I guess you don't hear my prayers. I mean, there can be so many negative things that are internally we're just saying to ourselves, we don't even realize that we're doing it. And you might even want to write some of those down so that you can say, that's not true. Amen. Here's what's true about God. Because some of those are just your own thoughts, but some of those are generated from a more sinister source. And you need to be able to say, that's not true. That's not reality. That's not a thought worthy of God. This is. This is what God says of himself. This is what he calls himself. And you'll be amazed at how encouraged you are, how moved you are. When we were singing about who our God is, our God is generous, he's merciful, he's, I mean, all these different things that we were singing in that last song. My heart was moved. And yeah, I, was getting I knew I was getting ready to talk about this stuff. And I was going to be ready to talk about those very things, but I just thought, wow, I didn't, I didn't tell Ashley uh, uh, as she was picking songs, oh yeah, pick these songs for this reason. And I just told her the passage and then God led her. And I was like, wow, she didn't know where, where this was going and yet God wanted us to know. Think about me. And so... We're being built into a spiritual house that gives these praises to God. And in fact, one of the uh, uh, other passages that deals with this is in Hebrews chapter 13. I think I have that one as well, if you want to throw that one up there. Hebrews 13, 15, or 16. Do you have 15? Uh, there anywhere? Maybe I forgot to put that one in. Um, in Hebrews 13, 15, it talks about... Uh, us giving praises to God. Um, I guess it's, I must have missed that verse. Hebrews 13, 15. I want to read it. It's, it's powerful. Oops. It's hard for me to speak and turn pages at the same time. All of a sudden I realize. Um, but uh, in Hebrews 13, 15, it tells us the kind of worship that we need to have. The kind of focus that we need to have. 
13.15 says, Through him, then, let us continually offer up, not just on Sunday morning for an hour, continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name, his name, the names of God, who he is. And so that we focus on that. But then we also understand, and, and since you got 16 up there, we also do good. We also do good. Jesus was somebody about whom it was said that he went about doing good, doing good things for people. Uh, we have a group of men that are, that are building, uh, men and women, that are building uh, wheelchair ramps, that are helping uh, widows, that are helping different people in our community uh, that, are, that are unable to help themselves. And, and so going about just doing good, sharing that of ourselves, we're a priest. And notice that it says, for such sacrifices... I went through the New Testament looking for this idea of sacrifice and offering. What are some of the spiritual sacrifices that we do? This was one of the passages that came up. Also, if, uh, if you have the other Hebrews 13, 16 uh, uh, highlight, it says uh, sharing, to share what you have. So we give of our talents and our gifts. Some give music and they, they share that with us. Some give finances. Some give in other means. They, they volunteer. They do other things in our life. They, they share what they have. The offering of faith. We see that in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 17, if you want to throw that one up there. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering, so there's that idea of offering, upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. How do people, how do we exercise that faith? We have people on Sunday morning that come up here and want to pray with you. They are giving a sacrificial offering of faith. Uh, the National Day of Prayer is this Thursday, and, and uh, I want to encourage you to come out uh, to one of the hospitals at 7 o'clock. I'll be at Methodist, but if you want to go to the other one, that's fine. We're going to have a short program and then a prayer walk where you can walk around the hospital and pray for the people that are inside. Patients, the caregivers, uh, doctors, nurses, all, all the folks that are, that are a part of, of helping the health of those folks. We're going to also be uh, at uh, Walmart uh, from, uh, I think, 11 to 12, and we're going to just pray with whoever wants to come in and pray. Anybody in our community that's walking in and out of Walmart that day. We'll have us at, from 11 to 12, we'll have others at different times, so that we're we're ministering to them as a priest, as a, a, a spiritual sacrifice. Offering your bodies as a spiritual sacrifice. If it doesn't cover it through some of these other individual things, Romans 12.1. Romans 12.1 talks about, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So living sacrifices like to keep crawling off the altar. So we have to kind of keep putting ourselves up there. But that we, in everything that we do, so worship doesn't stop at when the service is over. It starts when the service is over. This is a primer to kind of get you going each week. And that we have 24-7 worship as priests doing these things. Uh, the conversion of the Gentiles is an offering acceptable to God is what Paul says in Romans 15, 16. So sharing the gospel, sharing our faith with someone else who doesn't know Jesus. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about, usually we think about worship as music. But I want you to hear it 
just his words. There's a, there was a pastor, S.M. Lockridge, who, uh, who uh, and I love his voice, by the way. I just absolutely love his voice. I always am a little jealous. I wish I had that voice, but, uh, you know, that's something I have to just give to God, right? Uh, that had that deep, rich voice and, I mean, just such energy. S.M. Lockeridge uh, uh, wrote uh, and, 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 and uh, delivered uh, this message just describing Jesus. And so I want you to listen to, to this because I think you're going to find encouragement. I, I could listen to this every day and not get tired of it. So let's go ahead and play that clip. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Tyler couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him, death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him.
Are you moved? That's our king. And that's just scratching the surface of who he is. Apparently, S.M. Lockridge took notes. He journaled what he thought about God, the thoughts that came to mind about him. I want to encourage you to do the same and read it out loud. You'll encourage yourself. You, are, you will grow as, as a believer in Christ about who he is and replace those old tapes, those old thoughts of God unworthy of him with who our God is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your incredible love and grace. We thank you for who you are. You're the God of gods. You're the King of kings. You're the Lord of lords. You're the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. There is no one like you. You're Emmanuel, wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting Prince of Peace. We serve an incredible, incredible Savior. We love who you are. Lord, help us in our thoughts. Help our thoughts to be worthy of yours. Change our thoughts like you did with C.S. Lewis. Change our thoughts like you did with the Apostle Peter. From thoughts unworthy to thoughts that are worthy. So that when we think of you, what comes to mind is truth about you. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for loving us more. Thank you for making us your priest. Help us to be those who carry out the spiritual sacrifices. Believing you, praying with others, sharing what we have with those around us, doing good. Help us, Lord, to sing your praises, to speak your praises. Help us, Lord, as we learn to be those priests that you've called us to be. And I pray that you would use us to help a world that has a faulty view of you, an unworthy view of you, an an unworthy thoughts about you, to begin to see a people who understand who you are in truth, in righteousness. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name and all the people of God said. Amen.